Hey, I'm John McWhorter, and we are continuing our series, Pressure Points, by looking at what James says about faith. His book gives us a clear picture of real faith and two powerful examples of it. I hope you're encouraged to take your next step. Uh, we're in the, in the middle of week four of this series called Pressure Points, like Cody said. We're looking at the book of James because it's so practical. It helps. The focus is on pressure points in the series because... Where we feel pressure in life is where growth comes. And you know that. It's kind of an unfortunate reality. But it's when we're under pressure that we're able to grow more. It's not always just when things are perfect and right and we're smiling that we grow quickly. It's really when we're tried and we're under pressure that, that God can shape us. And so that's the, the main idea of this, this series. Here's a quick review. The first week we looked at making the most of pressure. You may remember there was a bunch of guys up here sharing about pressure in their life and talking about making the most of it. Week two, we looked at how to deal with temptation, dealing with things that we shouldn't want, um, but that we do. That adds pressure in our life. And then last week we looked at how we apply God's word to our life, how we work it out, and, and how that uh, sometimes is in the midst of pressure that we do that. And today, it's similar to last week, we're, we're talking about the pressure in life when your faith is lacking. When your faith is lacking. As we continue into this book, into James, we want to see how faith is defined and, and look at how James encourages us to live a type of life. Uh, let me say that again. To have faith that actually makes a difference in our life. Faith should fuel a different kind of life. And, it, and so we're going to start with this. We're going to sort of lay a foundation and, and survey this idea, this concept of faith. It has so many connotations. Sometimes it's hard to define. Um, our culture has their ideas. And so let's start there. Let's start with Twitter, like every good researcher does. Here's a brief review from Twitter. What is, what is faith? Let's try to get a handle on this. Here's one person tweeted, this is like a week ago, faith in myself, that's all I need. Faith in myself. I don't know these people, by the way. This is just a search. Faith in myself, that's all I need. Okay. How about this? Your faith, good music, and people will get you through life, especially through hard times. There's a, that's an idea. Or this, faith makes all things possible. Hope makes all things work. Love makes all things beautiful. May you have all three. Sounds like a wedding toast. It's actually, that's a little, a little bit of a nod, I guess you could say, to 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love. And this ends differently than 1 Corinthians 13 does. But, but there's a concept. And this last one, fear keeps us up all night, but faith makes one fine pillow. That's a good tweet. Is that what it's called? A tweet? All of these represent a sentiment, an idea of faith. But we don't, we don't really grasp a full definition by reading these things because it's expressed here as belief or a feeling or trusting or a pillow. You know, it's hard to really get our minds around this sometimes. So the dictionary definition, maybe a, a better next starting point, is this. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And this is, we're getting... We're getting better here. You know, it's a good general framework for faith. But we're interested in what the Bible says. And actually, the Bible says a lot about faith and gives us a really clear definition in Hebrews 11. So it's not a bait and switch. We're going to talk about James. But back up one book just for a moment with me to Hebrews 11. And we find this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. So there's a little more food for thought worth unpacking. As, as we dig into this concept of faith, we, we can see that there's really two sides of it. Um, like a coin, heads and tails. There's two sides of faith, and they are trust in the Lord and fear of the Lord. Okay, so faith has those components, trusting God and fearing God. Someone who's decided to follow Christ with their life has the assurance that everything God has promised is found in Jesus Christ. That's the decision to follow Jesus Christ is the decision to, to have faith in Him. It's, it's the assurance that all God promises is found in Jesus Christ. And that assurance then leads to conviction that God works for our good. So as we do what He says, we, we, tr- we are trusting Him that He is good. And so that's, that's what trust of the Lord looks like. Fear, fear of the Lord, I've heard it described this way. Fearing God, which is a strange words, you know, if you're unfamiliar with this phrase, it's kind of a strange wording, but really what it means is taking God seriously enough, knowing that His boundaries around things are for our good. We know that if we follow God, we fear Him enough to follow Him and stay within the boundaries He's set on life, and that works out for our good. God is trustworthy, is what fear of the Lord means. And so, since we have assurance and conviction... Faith should lead us to live a different kind of life. So let me unpack that even more. What does that mean? There's a a visual that is helpful as we talk about faith. In fact, as we talk about just being a Christian, uh, many of you have decided to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are investigating that. And so this is a great picture of what that decision looks like and what it means if you've already made that decision. So we call it the Lordship Pie. So here's a pie. It's, it's really like a Wheel of Fortune inspired pie. But it's a pie. Think of the slice, like a pie has slices. Here's our life with many different slices, different areas of life. Like family, career, church maybe for, for some, school, community involvement, education, recreation, money. These are all different slices of, of life. And at first glance... It, it, make, it might make sense for some people. You see the Jesus slice of the pie. It might make sense uh, as just another slice of the pie, as many people do. In the Jesus slice, we go to church, we pray, maybe we read the Bible, maybe we give a few dollars uh, to, to good things. Um, but he's still separate from the rest of our life. But when you decide to follow Jesus, when you make the commitment and put your faith in Jesus, what you actually do is he moves from a slice into the center of our life. He becomes the center. You give him the place at the center and you agree to do what he says in all the other areas, like using your time, using your money. As you relate to people and your family, what you, not only what you do for work, but the way you approach your work, what you do for your recreation and fun. From the center position, Jesus can call the shots on the rest of life. And there's not an area that the center does not impact. So the decision to follow Jesus Christ is putting him in the middle. We call him, he's now the, the Lord or the boss of my life. Just like a boss can give you directions in any area of work life. This is what we do when we follow Jesus Christ. And this is what the Christian faith is all about. Real faith in Jesus, putting Jesus in the center, leads us to live a different kind of life. It impacts our decisions. And actually, this is kind of the bonus material. Um, As I was thinking about this, a faith-filled life 
actually leads to a successful life here and now. And ultimately, it's going to please God. Faith is a really critical issue. It's worth our attention. Uh, Lord willing, one day, for those that are following Christ and trying to grow in their faith, we hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Faith is the measure. So this is a critical issue. It's with this understanding that James writes and talks about faith. And as we continue in James, we're in chapter 2, we see the emphasis on faith here. In fact, his whole, his whole book is, uh, there's an emphasis on faith. He mentions it like 16 times in his, in his short letter. He mentions belief another three times. So he's emphasizing this because he doesn't want a Christian to live an ineffective life. There's a, there's a way to do life that's effective and ineffective, and faith is, a, is an issue. He doesn't want those to turn, who turn to faith in Christ to be fuzzy on this. So even before Twitter was conceived, in, in the time James was writing, there was confusion and, and some people who claimed faith, but it meant nothing to how they lived. And so he wrote. He provides this challenge. You can follow along in your listening guide. But the first line says this, True and real faith leads to a changed life. This is what James is going to show us as we continue. <clears throat> Look at chapter 2, verse 14. You have it printed on your guide. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, here's the scene, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what James is, the picture he's painting, he's describing true versus real faith. Cody mentioned this too. So before we jump in and and really move forward in this passage, let's pause on that idea and define what is true versus what is real. So here's, here's an example. If something is true, it factually makes sense to us. We can... We nod our head. That's okay. We're on board. But it makes little impact to our life. So the fact that the circumference of the earth is 24,901 miles. You guys all knew that. The circumference of the earth is 24,901 miles. I can be okay with that. Somebody measured it. Um, it doesn't impact, though, my, my everyday life. It doesn't impact what clothes I choose to wear or what words I say to my family. It doesn't impact everyday life. But if something is true and real, it's not only factually true in our heads, like the circumference of the earth, but the reality of that truth impacts what we do. So here's a, here's a different example. So, any excuse to play with fire, right, on stage? So, you guys know what it's supposed to be doing. There it is. Okay, so here's a flame. Fire being hot is true But it's also real. It's the reason I'm not going to put my hand over it. I'm not doing anything fancy here. Because the reality that fire is hot is not just true. It's also real. If I touch it, I'm going to get burnt. You guys may have been burnt before. Um, And I'm going to put this out now because I don't want the reality to impact all of us if I drop it. Because we know it's real. We treat it differently. We behave differently when something is true and real. My one time, one of my daughters touched the, the pot 
on the stove. And it was, it was heated up because of the flame. She learned then the reality of fire. We had told her before, don't touch, it's hot. And we didn't want her to, to touch it, but she did. And she now helps her younger siblings, you know, understand, don't touch the fire because it hurt. It impacted her decisions thereafter. So when something like that moves from true to real, it makes a difference in our life. With fire, you don't leave a candle. You try not to leave a candle lit in your house when you leave. You don't let the kids play with matches and you don't get too close with the marshmallow because it impacts what you do. What James wants us to see is that faith in God is true. God exists. God created. God is good. Those are true things. But James is making the argument that faith which leads to action is real. It has teeth in our life, so to speak. So we can't leave our faith in the true category. The kind of faith that James is describing is a a faith that is real. Um, When faith is not real... It's lacking. Faith that is not real, look at the description in verse 14 through 17. It doesn't lead us to action. We would be full of words and ideas, but we would not help with practical needs. Like that picture of a brother or sister coming, uh, probably cold and hungry. It sounds nice to say, be warmed, be filled, peace be with you, or whatever. But that's a lacking faith. Um, There's no action attached. And if our faith isn't real, it ultimately becomes useless. James describes it as dead. But faith that is real, in contrast, can be seen on the outside. And it's important to, to note here, our works are never our attempt to save us. That's, that's backwards thinking. We can't put works first and, and, and be saved by that. Rather, when we are saved and we put our faith in Jesus, our faith, if it's real, is seen on the outside. That's the correct order. So James is, is ultimately saying you can't fake it. You can't live an effective life that pleases God if you leave faith in the true category. It's got to move us into action. You can profess faith in God, but that in and of itself is not real. That's just true. I was talking with somebody after the first service, and, and, there, and I'm, he was realizing, I was realizing, man, there's so many areas where we say, yeah, I, I know, I know that. But it hasn't become real. I know what I should do, but there's a gap. And that's the true versus real gap. So so here's a question. What do you do when the pressure in life is turned up? What comes out when you're pressed for time and somebody's not doing what you want them to do, whether you're at work or at home trying to get somewhere on time, but the family isn't moving at your pace? What, What happens? What comes out? Or what happens when you get hit with the unexpected bill? In the mail. Or when you feel like somebody has done wrong to you. Do you know what the right thing to do is? But it's, it is hard to do. But that's, that's the true versus real distinction. Maybe it's in money. In our finances we feel this tension. And putting, sometimes we just want to pass the pressure along and not respond the way we know we should. And we pass pressure to others. But, but the pressure that we face in life, this is the big, big idea. Pressure that we face in life turns out to be a proving ground for our faith. God uses the pressure to refine. And, and, and that's, it's really our opportunity uh, to grow our faith. We want to avoid pressure like the plague, but God uses it as a proving ground for our faith. James reinforces this idea by giving us two 
stories. Um, they're stories from, from earlier in history, before James was around, and the old stories from the Old Testament and the Bible. They have, these two people have incredible stories that show us, this is the next on your listening guide, faith becomes alive and real as we do what God says in the midst of pressure. James is going to give us two examples of real faith. So first, we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham had a daunting assignment. Back to James, he's going to develop his point. He says in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He was, uh, he was passionate about this. You, you fool. I think of Cruella Deville. She's not very kind in that movie. Uh, you fool. Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? And he says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And Abraham... If you recall his story, he was given an assignment to literally sacrifice his son to God. And this sounds so strange to us. It is strange. In in that time in history, child sacrifice was not uh, that weird of a thing. However, it was unusual for the God of the Bible to ask for this. He had not asked for this before. So this was an incredibly tough assignment. It seemed like Abraham's hopes for the future he could have put in his son because he was promised a a great uh, ancestry. He was promised a big family. He was going to be the father of many, many, of many, many generations. And here's his one son, and God wanted him to offer his son as a sacrifice. And and just to, to go into the story a little bit more, remember that God provided Isaac to Abraham when he was 100 years old. All right? I don't think there's any of us in here that are 100 years old. This is a guy that had waited. God had promised and he had waited for this fulfillment. His wife Sarah was, must have been in that range. I don't know if she was also 100, but maybe she was a little bit younger, a little bit older. But I love this about the story. You should go back and read this story maybe sometime this week. It's in Genesis 21 and 22. But the Bible says Sarah literally laughed after Isaac's birth. I think probably for two reasons that she laughed. I was thinking about this. And number one, God filled her with incredible joy, allowing her to give birth to a son. She had been barren for her whole life until this point. And if you're a parent, many of you are, don't you remember the joy that came the instant you saw your baby for the first time? Even for the moms, it's an intense process, you know, before the baby gets here. But even for the moms, I've seen it in my wife. I've, seen, I've experienced this three times. The joy, the, the feeling when you see your baby for the first time. So I get it. I get why she laughed with joy. It's a feeling that I won't forget. And I'm not even a feeler. It's hard for me to, you know, explain this stuff. But, but it was special. I know that feeling. And Sarah laughed with joy when Isaac was born. Another reason I think she laughed is because their circumstances were pretty unusual. She was near 100 years old. She even said in the story, you can read this, she said this, everyone who hears will laugh over me. And I I bet she didn't mind. Whether they're laughing with her or at her, she didn't care. She's laughing with joy about God providing Isaac. And then we get to this. God told Abraham 
clear as a bell. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will, shall tell you. Can you imagine that? This is an incredibly tough assignment. All of Abraham's hopes could have been in Isaac. Instead, they rested on God, the one who made the promises to him. So his faith was not only true. He sort of hit this fork in the road. When God said to do this, is his faith going to be real and he's going to trust God? Or is it not real enough to, to do what God said? Can you imagine what he was thinking as he's hiking up? I'm picturing Mount Rubido. That's probably a little more paved than what Abraham had. But can you imagine going up the hill, your, your only child, your promised child is following you, holding the bundle of wood? He might be thinking, Could I, did I hear God correctly? This is crazy. What if I'm making the mistake? And he goes a little further. What if God really can't be trusted after all? I thought he could, but this is crazy. Why would God ask me to do this? And he goes a little further. What in the world am I going to tell my wife, who's still laughing with joy probably over God providing us a son? This is the situation of all pressure situations in the Bible. Here's a rhetorical question for you. Could Abraham truly believe God but not do what God said? The the fact that God would ask Abraham to do this, it may be hard to hear. It might not sit well with you. And and, and that's okay. That's a normal reaction to this story. I want to bring up this issue before we go any further. If you're thinking that, how could God ask Abraham to do this, you should know that Isaac was never going to die. God did not desire Isaac's death. God's desire was to test Abraham's faith. And he tested him with what he held most dear. And so God was thinking longer term. If you continue reading the Bible from there, you know that God wanted to establish for himself a people of faith. And the way God works is he starts with a leader. He wanted to start with Abraham, test his faith before establishing him. As it turns out, we know the rest of the story, Abraham is now known as a father of the people of faith. In fact, even quickly before the book of Genesis ends, when people refer to God, they refer to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God tested Abraham's faith. So so this story is unusual, but, but God was working in Abraham's life. Look again at what James said about Abraham's faith. He said, you see that faith was active along with his works. And and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. He was a friend of God. God loves real faith. Not just true, but real. If you know the story, they get to the top of the hill and Abraham is ready to complete the deed. He, his, the knife is raised. And right before he makes the fatal blow, God stops him. And, he, and, he, and then Abraham notices that God provides a ram stuck in the bush. Um, actually, I'm going to show you a clip of this scene because I really think it helps us get into the situation. Keep in mind, it's a Hollywood you know, reproduction, and so there's some things that aren't exact from the story. I encourage you to read the story later this week, but... What I want you to pay attention to in this clip is the struggle that Abraham, as he faces this fork in the road regarding his faith, 
the struggle to make his faith real. So let's watch this. Abraham, 
believing in God. It's not, it wasn't just a mental exercise. <clears throat> Walking with God wasn't just intellectually true. It was a real way of living. Now, Lord willing, God does not give you or I that same assignment. That's unthinkable to walk through. But when we are given difficult situations, pressure in life, whether it's created by God or, uh, or leaders, maybe our boss at work, things that crank up the pressure in our life, we have a choice, like Abraham did, to respond in faith, taking action according to what God has said. James gives another example of this. And I'm just going to summarize what he says, but I love that he included this story next. Because if you're thinking Abraham's a giant of faith in the Bible, um, and you're thinking, I'm not good enough like he was uh, to develop my faith, or I'm too far from God um, to apply this idea today, look at this next story. Rahab had a bleak and dreadful circumstance. James basically includes her in the list and says, don't you see a person is justified by works and not faith alone? In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So her story was this. I'm going to condense. She lived in Jericho. She, she had a less than desirable profession there as a prostitute. She caught wind that the Israelites, God's people, were headed their way. She heard the stories and, and believed in God. Like, if, if I cross God, not only is He true, but if we cross Him, if they cross us, that's really going to have some consequences. And so, one day, I don't know how it looked, but she encountered these Israelite slaves. I'm sorry, spies. They were previously slaves. But now these guys are spies checking out Jericho. She hides them knowing the authorities in Jericho are looking for them. In fact, she redirects the, the police or whatever they were called. She redirects them. I think they already went that way. And she helped them get out. Her choice was believe what she heard and, and take action or do trust in her own uh, ability to handle the situation. This is what she said to the spies. This is in Joshua 2. You can read this story later as well. This is her, these are her words. She says, The Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She had faith. She heard these things, and her faith was true because of this statement. These, are, these were facts. But they were real based on her actions, what she did to save. Faith becomes real as we do what God says in the middle of pressure situations. And we all hit points in our life where we can choose faith, or we can choose to rely on our own understanding. Choosing faith, we typically think, okay, I need to choose faith here, when it's big. We, we, we think in these terms when it's a career change or a relocation or, or how to take care of certain medical issues in our family. Who should I marry? And later, how many kids should I have? What should I do after college? We think of faith choices in, in the big things. But the reality is that we face faith decisions each and every day in a lot of different arenas. It takes faith to handle relationships rightly. We're relational people, and we, we interact with people every single day. So we have a choice to choose faith and do what we know God says about relating to people, which is to put them above ourselves. Uh, Jesus modeled this. It's reinforced in Scripture that God wants us to put others first. But 
But we want to take care of ourselves. Who's going to take care of us if I put them first? And so sometimes our faith fails to get to the re- the reality of our lives of doing that. In our finances, we know what God says as we hear from Him and see in Scripture. We know what God says. It's to tithe and to be generous with people. We know that God is the provider after all. But we have a choice. Each and every paycheck. Are we going to... Is our faith, is what we know, going to move into reality in our lives? Or maybe... You get into situations and you're pressured to to act a certain way. Maybe it's a certain group of people, friends or family or co-workers. But we know in our mind it's contrary to what the Bible says. So this creates a choice. Cave into the pressure and, and, and therefore maintain cool status. Or are we going to be that guy, you know, by choosing God's way? Just as I wrap up, I want to share a personal uh, a story, just uh, an area in, in, with, for my wife and I where we wrestle with this. We have three lovely daughters. I've mentioned them, I think, throughout. But they're all gifted with food allergies. All right. Actually, the third one, 10-week-old, we don't know yet. We assume. But the other two have food allergies to very common things, very common foods. Our oldest, four years old, she has a severe nut allergy, and then both uh, our oldest have an, an egg allergy. It's amazing how much how many foods those are ingredients for. But at all times, we're, on the, we're possibly on the verge of her having a, an allergic reaction, um, possible ambulance ride to the hospital to take care of, of her body. Everything within us as parents wants to guard and protect her from harm, both of them. Sometimes we struggle with the inability to fully control the environments that they're in. And maybe you can relate to this or in other ways. So we have a choice. We can attempt to control and guard, protect them 100% of the time with like food shields and, and do our best. Which, but what that would mean is we'd have to say no to a lot of things because we can't control. Or we can trust God and do the work He's set before us in ministry that, that takes us into many situations where we have very little control over food the environment of food, snack time, what did other kids bring, are, are they sharing? I mean, this is, a, this is a real fear. But by really trusting God in this area, we get to watch Him come through in a way that He protects them in a way we couldn't. Sometimes I forget He loves them more than I do. But by really trusting God in this area, we get to, we get to see this and our faith grows. Just like a tree grows a little bit at a time, ring after ring, and grows in strength. So our faith does as we, as we trust God. This is, for us, this was challenging at first, but God has proven trustworthiness over and over again. And that's just an area for us. There's others, areas where how, the edge, we get to the edge quickly, and will our faith take us further? Do we, do we really trust God beyond this point? And think in your life, is it things with kids? Is it things with health? trying to protect? Is it your finances or relationships or work? The question is, how far do we trust God in these areas in life? What's the edge of our faith? Think about this question. What's my my pressure situation right now? And then the follow-up question, a good question, is how does God want to use this to grow my faith? It's through those actions and choosing to trust God that our faith moves from true to real. 
We, we want to continue to do that in the big things and the small things. And, and over time, that builds a life that pleases God. That in the end, he, He's proud of. And actually, before the end, it leads to success for us as we choose to trust God. So think about a next step. What faith step do you need to take today? We always try to wrap up the message and, and ask you to think, what is your next step? So I invite the worship team to come back up. Think about this. First thing, take a step of faith in blank. Maybe God brought something to mind for you where you realize I'm at the faith edge and, and it's actually it's not that deep in and, and I need to just take another step and trust God. So jot it down there. Or the second next step, ask God to show me any area of my life where my faith is true, but it just stays in that category. Lastly, uh, you could choose to read James 3. We're going to continue in this series, uh, seeing what James wrote to us as real practical help to grow our faith and to walk with God. So pray with me now. Dear God, we, we admit that when life comes at us, that when the pressure is turned up, it's not something we desire. Um, it's hard. But God, what you've described in the Bible is these are opportunities to trust you in. And we wish it was a different way, but, but it's the way you created it. So God, please help our perspective on pressure uh, to change. Help us to see them as opportunities. And God, wherever we're at in our faith in you, I pray you'd call us further. That you would give us clear uh, steps to take today, maybe this week, certainly, God, that, that would stretch us and move our faith edge further and further out so that one day, God, we hear you say, good and faithful servant. God, what an honor it is. And thank you, God, for building in blessing as we do that. God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.